You may be seated as our scripture is read for us today from the Gospel of John in chapters 15 and 16. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. In verse 4. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever He hears, He will speak and will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has in mind. Therefore I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as we come to this word from the Lord today on this Pentecost Sunday, I'll invite you to consider it not unlike a birthday party. It is, in fact, the the birthday of the church, the beginning of the church as the Holy Spirit came to us. But like a birthday party, you remember that beginning, but you also have something to celebrate now, right? Because most birthday parties, I mean, probably most of us aren't showing pictures from the delivery room, right? We're celebrating that person and what is going on and celebrating their life now. Of course, it's anchored to a pretty important moment in history, right? But we're celebrating their life now. It's, it's not unlike what we'll celebrate next weekend on Memorial Day when we remember with thanksgiving those who have given their lives for our nation and and for us. And as we remember them and their sacrifice, not only do we remember that moment in history, that critical moment in history of what they've given, but we also remember what we're, because of that gift, enjoying now. And if you can believe it, in just a few weeks, we'll do the same thing with 4th of July, right? As we grill out or watch fireworks, blow things up, we'll enjoy 
an important moment in history. That's true for you graduates today as well. You're not just remembering those cute days of kindergarten, right? You're not just thanking God that uh, you are past your final, final, which of course you are, right? But you're looking ahead to what the blessing is because of all of that treasured gift you have received, what lies ahead? So Pentecost, likewise, today, we remember a critical moment in the history of the world. That the world was transformed. But because of that moment, we don't just remember it as something back then. That we're actually called today to be living Pentecostal lives. Impacted by that moment, but still receiving the Spirit who is with us now. We not only celebrate what happened then, but we remember how to live because of the gift of the Spirit here with us now. Now last year, as I already alluded to, I talked about the disruption. Now we all know about disruptions in these last 14, 15 months, right? Sometimes we deal with disruptions uh, differently, as I talked about then. Sometimes we'll just binge watch something or, or get distracted or we get a new direction because of it. And the Spirit has disrupted our lives with this transforming power to give us a direction. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a few moments to talk about the history of Pentecost and then kind of connect those dots to what it means for our life today. Today. So let's go back in history, not just to the first century Pentecost that we uh, can read about in Acts chapter 2, where the Spirit descends on the disciples and the crowd hears in their own tongue the fire of the Spirit and they can hear the good news of the gospel where 3,000 came to faith in Christ on that day. But let's go back a little farther. Go back in the Old Testament, Leviticus 23 and Exodus 34, where God first commands the celebration of Pentecost. And as it was celebrated at the time of Jesus, it was a celebration by that time, by the first century, it was a celebration of receiving the word from Mount Sinai. Now, when did they receive that word? They received that word, and so it was celebrated. As Pentecost was ordered, the, seven, the weeks festival, as it's sometimes called in the Old Testament, seven weeks, 50 days, penta, literally, 50 days after God had saved his people from the, in the Passover, they received the word. Now fast forward to the first century. 50 days after the final Passover, the ultimate Passover, where we received the word incarnate, where God died and then rose again, the Spirit comes to bring us to the truth of His word. And as we see these dots being connected for us in history, there's more. 
Because there's a great reversal. You might recall, as I talked about a few weeks ago, when they received that word at Mount Sinai, what did many folks do as they waited for Moses on top of the mountain? They made an idol, the golden calf. As a result of that idolatrous sin, 3,000 died. 3,000 died for their egregious sin. But what happens on Pentecost when the Spirit comes? You see the dots connecting now? Amazingly, 3,000 now receive new life. It's God's great reversal as the Spirit comes and brings us to the very incarnate Christ The great reversal is this, from death to life. And that reversal continues. For as many scholars will note, Pentecost in Acts is the great reversal of the Tower of Babel. What's that you say? It's, you might recall back in Genesis again, when People were scattered. Their languages separated them. Well, look happens on Pentecost. Everyone hears in one heavenly voice, right? They hear in their own tongue. They're brought together to the gospel. You see, these historical fulfillments not only give us confirmation of the truth of God's word and what God did in this pattern of 50 days now of celebrating not just receiving the word, the Torah-centered, as one scholar put it, the the Torah-centered world and Torah-directed world as Judaism experienced it. But now in Christ, Christianity is a Christ-centered world. The word made flesh and spirit-directed. As that scholar uh, notes, we can now hear. We can receive what Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples, which they couldn't hear in John 15 and 16. And you know what? I I began to understand a little bit more about how they couldn't hear his teaching when I, I thought about this. When my kids were still in diapers, uh, people used to say to us all the time, well, you know, the, the days are long, but the years are short. Now, you parents of graduates are probably feeling the truth of that, but I will tell you that when I was a parent of very young kids, I didn't believe it. The three o'clock, middle of the night, wake-up calls, you know, those days were long. They were great, and they were good, It didn't seem very short to me. I couldn't imagine how short those years would be. But, you know, now that my own kids, some of whom are one in college, and as they grow in years now, now I'm ready to receive that message. I I get it. I understand it now. The days are long sometimes, but the years are most definitely short. It makes sense. I can hear it. In the same way the disciples couldn't understand what Jesus was talking about, about the helper coming. What did it take for them to understand, to get it? 
It would take the cross. They were sorrowful about Jesus leaving them, but it would take Jesus' sorrow on the cross, not their own, to bring hope. It was the... It was the work on the cross and the hope of the resurrection that now, 50 days later, oh, now they could receive. Now they could get that truth. That the Spirit comes, as we hear in the Gospel reading today, to bring us, as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit experience this intimate relationship, the Spirit comes to bring us right into that intimate relationship with God. Then and now today, he wants the Spirit to come so that we can be guided in all truth, the ultimate truth that's revealed in God's Word and revealed to us by the Spirit so that we don't fall away, so that that Tower of Babel is reversed, the the God's gigantic reversal from death to life would be ours now. Remember how we've learned uh, over these weeks in the Gospel of John that when he talks about the world, it's, it's in reference to the, the world against God. And now the Spirit comes for that world. For that world, again, so to be a witness to that world so that they could know the great love of God. And it, it says in the Gospel of John that that the Spirit is a witness. That word witness in Greek is, is where we get the word martyr. And so the Spirit, just as Jesus sacrificed himself so that we could know, now we're called to be likewise sacrificed and lay down our lives as a witness to the world. Let me give you another picture. Chuck Swindoll likes to think of the Holy Spirit as a transformer, electrical transformer. You know those, those little boxes between uh, the plug-in and, and, and your cord and your laptop so that when you plug your laptop in, it doesn't fry, right? Well, I think of it like this on a, on a ba- bit of a grander scale. When... Uh, I was growing up, I volunteered at an outdoor education school, and we would take kids to the basin of this gigantic waterfall called the Snoqualmie Falls. And at Snoqualmie Falls, in its basin, there's a, 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 not too many visitors to the falls would see this little pathway where the uh, water would be diverted into these great hydraulic generators. Producing enough electricity, at least I was told then, back then, to produce enough for all of Western Washington. Great amount of power. But of course, that power stream doesn't go straight from that gigantic hydraulic conductor straight to our homes, right? There's a transformer in between, lest we be fried, right? So, in the same way that power comes to us through the Holy Spirit. And there at that basin, we would have kids take kind of like bicycle paddle uh, uh, pedals of cranks, and while we're given the lesson, they would crank on this little generator to kind of display how much 
power was actually being produced. And as they cranked, and I don't know how long they would do it for, 15, 30 minutes, we'd say, now you have just enough electricity from what you've generated to maybe watch 20 minutes of your favorite show, right? The power that we produce is not enough. We need the great transformer. We need the Holy Spirit. Now all analogies break down. The Holy Spirit is not diluting God's power when he brings it to us, right? He's bringing it to us in full force, but in a way that we can receive because he's with us. We don't have the power on our own. Even the great reformer and Bible teacher and brilliant thinker Martin Luther said this when talking about coming to faith. He said, I believe that I cannot, cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord. But, my Lord, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel and enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. It's not his power. It's the Spirit's power that enables him to have faith. It's not your power that enables you to believe or have faith. It's the power of the Holy Spirit now with us today. Connected with that moment in history to right now. And so that word paraclete in Greek is kind of sometimes hard to translate. It means helper. But it also means advocate and counselor and comforter. And and empowering our witness. And so when you get to verse 8 of chapter 16, as one scholar put it, it pretty much is the mission statement of the Holy Spirit. And we get these dissection of concerning. You hear this word over and over again, concerning, concerning, concerning sin, concerning righteousness, concerning judgment. What does this spirit life mean? It means concerning Sin, which for the Gospel of John is unbelief, right? And so it leads us to repentance and belief concerning righteousness or justice. And how do you come to true justice and righteousness? Through faith. And so the Holy Spirit gives us faith. And concerning judgment. Now, Here he's talking about the ruler of the world, the evil one. He's saying that the devil will not have the final word. You might remember I mentioned this last week at the end of this chapter. In chapter 16, Jesus says, In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome this world. The world uh, that you go into, graduates, the world that we all live in, we will experience trouble. It's a foregone conclusion. Well, there's a song I used to listen to, and it has this really uplifting line. It says, life is hard, and it might not get easier. But the Spirit is with us. The Spirit 
is with us. And this trouble, the trouble that we face, whatever hardship, whatever witness we may lay down our lives for, for the sake of the gospel, it will not have the final word. The grief that we suffer through, the hardships that we face, the Spirit is with us. He intercedes for us on behalf of the Father. And so concerning judgment, He has overcome this world. So what does a Spirit-led life look like? It's nothing less, nothing less than being part of God's gigantic reversal. Gigantic reversal. Fifty days later, the Spirit has come from death to life, from scattered to together. And what's the key? I like how one author put it. The key to Spirit-filled Christian life is found in a paradox. Cultivating an attitude of perpetual emptiness will bring us perpetual fullness. It's not us cranking ourselves to be filled up. It's the Spirit filling us up. Jesus, that same author writes, put it like this as Jesus puts it in Matthew 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, faith and belief, for they shall be satisfied. You know, going back to Genesis again, Many scholars point out that when Eve was experiencing pain of childbearing, the pain she was feeling wasn't what we initially go to and think of the physical pain, but really the pain that she was suffering was knowing that the child that she bore would one day die. But here... In the hope of the resurrection and now the promised spirit, God's gigantic reversal changes that. From death to life. It's no longer our sorrow that does it. It's Christ's sorrow for us. And now we have hope. And the spirit in this day that we remember that celebrated the word given to us, the spirit brings us into the very presence of the word made flesh, the intimacy with God. Or as one person put it, the Spirit makes the past a living reality. So Pentecost is a reality today. The Holy Spirit is here now. It looks a lot like repentance. It looks a lot like a life aligned with God's Word. With hope as we bear witness now for the sake of the world who may be against God. Now the Spirit has rushed in to transform us, to transform you and me. The question is, are we ready to hear? Is it finally time that you and I are ready to hear this truth? We'll be ready now to share it? This upside-down reversal Or as the prophet put it, will we remember, it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Feel the rushing wind, the flowing waters, the tongues of fire.
feel the presence of the Spirit who is here now, today. Amen.